Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi, this is Airlie Smith speaking to you from the lands of the Ghana people. For this week's Speak Up podcast, we're rebroadcasting an episode which aired during Season 2 with Speech Pathology Australia's 2020 National Tour speakers, Dr Gail Hemsley and Dr Alison Holm, on the topic of working effectively with Australian multilingual children. In this podcast, we will hear Speech Pathology Australia's former Queensland Professional Education Coordinator, Tricia Chardon, speaking with Gail, who is Senior Speech and Language Advisor with Queensland's Department for Education, and Alison, who is an Associate Professor of Speech Pathology at the University of Tasmania. We're delighted that in November, Gail and Alison will be presenting their workshop again for Speech Pathology Australia, this time in Adelaide and Darwin. Their workshop will cover current evidence in the areas of culturally responsive, valid and clinically feasible speech and language assessment and intervention for multilingual children. You can learn more about this workshop in the show notes. We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. Gail and Alison, what got you interested in this area and why are you so passionate about culturally and linguistically diverse children? I think the main thing is that they're, they're really interesting. Um, they teach us a lot about how speech and language works and they um, really get us to think about what we already know about monolingual children and you know, challenge us to think, well, really, the, the language learning processes and the, and the speech processing sort of systems should be the same for all children. So what's, what's happening that's different when there's more than one language being learned or one linguistic system that's sort of... Um, interacting with another one and I think that's what makes also what makes it so interesting is that um, every child is so different so and and that keeps both of us on our toes so there's no two children are the same at the moment I'm working um, with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and um, I've really learned that every child comes um, that I work with needs to be looked at through a different lens. So every school has a different context, every family will um, have differences in the way that they learn language, in the way that they approach language. And within each family, every child can be really different. So we really need to um, challenge, challenge our way of working and really not have a cookie cutter approach for these kids as we often do for monolingual children, but to really look at different language pairs, different amounts of exposure, and the different cultural values and expectations of um, the different um, people groups that we work with. And I guess something I say to students all the time is that we should be considering every child as as individual and unique. And Mm. so we talk about the ICF all the time, and really that's how we should be approaching every child on our caseload. Mm -hmm. But I think um, when you're working with multilingual children, it it really reinforces those, those, particularly those environmental factors um, and, and the context um, you can't ignore it because it's going to have an impact on everything that you do. It really makes you think outside the box. Yeah. So why is this area so important? Well, we, we tend to sort of treat monolingualism as though that is the norm and that, and that um, actually 
anything outside of a monolingual context is, is atypical, but actually, you know, 25% of, of children in our schools don't have English as their home language. And so, you know, they, they are part of our normal population. Mm. And I think when we're working um, in it with our university students and when we're having our training, predominantly we do really start with those approaches, those typical assessment and intervention processes that we use with monolingual, um, with monolingual children. And I think as a profession, sometimes that's where we tend to um, focus our attention. And that can really make it difficult for us to then think about where to start with a child that comes to us from a background that we haven't worked from before or from a language group that we haven't worked with before. Mm. So I think we really need to change how we're thinking about multilingual children and, and not be seeing them as, as an atypical group, but actually they're, they're a group that we need to be, you know, thinking about how we do doing things differently and um, and but, but that it becomes as ingrained and as as fundamental as, as any other practice that we're we exposed to and I think that's really interesting because a lot of the time um, when I work with speech pathologists and they try different ways of working with bilingual children um, at the end of that process they often say I could use this with all my children this is actually a really helpful process for me to really know what's going on with the child's speech or language so it is um, a little bit of that um, idea of actually what is best practice practice for monolingual what is best practice for bilingual children or multilingual children can actually be again best practice for monolingual children as well mm. and I think it's um, I think there's been a really increased awareness around cultural responsiveness and and people you know acknowledge that they need to um, do cultural responsiveness training and be thinking about how to practice in a culturally responsive way that's right but there's also more than that it's actually how, how does your practice need to be different in terms of things like the assessments that you're doing and the intervention that you're doing mm. um, and and leading right through to policy sort of level changes of, of how school education systems, for example, are, are thinking about how they identifying children and are they going to actually recognise non-standardised assessment processes um, and, and what that looks like. So mm. I think there's change happening, but um, it's, it's, still, it's still happening. Still a long way to, yeah. to go. The national tour will run over two days. Mm. Can you briefly outline what it will look like? So we're going to use, I guess, a, a case-based approach to a lot of the workshops. So we're going to be working through actual cases that we've worked through or that, or that people have brought to us with, with questions about in terms mm. of um, how do I address this, this difficulty that I've got with, with how to manage this child. And um, we're really going to focus on those real questions that real speeches have around what to do um, that is still valid and appropriate, um, that's going to give you the information that you need, that's going to work. We're going to try and address those things. So bring in the theory that, that underpins that decision-making and those the, the clinical reasoning that's involved, but use it through, um, but apply it to these cases that we're going to present. Mm. So we'll um, have a range of cases, some students with speech um, difficulties, some students with language difference, some with language disorder, um, and we also want to throw in some more complex cases, the ones that really make us think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. So not just your first and second generation immigrants, um, but we'll have um, at least one refugee case, um, some children who speak um, an Aboriginal English or a heritage language at home. Um, um, and we'll also, um, yeah, again, go back to the theory 
to see um, how that influences our clinical practice, what the evidence tells us about where to start with those children and how to think about those children to come to a differential diagnosis. What are some of the key issues you'll address? Well, I think one of the most basic things that we need to try and do is describe what typical um, speech and language characteristics might be for mm. multilingual children, and that's obviously going to differ compared, you know, depending on the language combinations and things like that. But but really, try and draw out that it's important to be thinking about the fact that typical language development is different to monolingual development of, the, of each language. So how do we work out what that is and, and what those differences might be? And because um, bilingual and multilingual children are so different in the way that they develop their speech and language, we'll be spending some um, considerable time looking at assessment techniques that we can use to assist with differentiating speech and language difference from disorder. Um, and really getting into a clinical framework to support that process of um, differential diagnosis. Um, so um, how many assessments do I need to do? How much and what sort of background information do I need to get from families? Um, and how, how do I make that decision around um, in a valid and reliable way around whether a child has a language difference or disorder? Yeah, and we're going to try and be really practical about how we do that too because yeah. we know that it, it's difficult if you don't have um, resources and, and tools at hand. Interpreters uh, at your fingertips. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so in addition to that assessment sort of process, we're also going to um, talk about how you choose and prioritise speech and language intervention targets or goals um, and, and the evidence behind um, what we do know about what works in terms of intervention for, for multilingual children um, you know, there isn't a huge amount of evidence at this point in time, but um, we will, you know, be, be tying it into some of those cases that we've, um, we're going to present. Mm. Um, and I guess we'll also again be, because we are both from a clinical background, we really will be um, keeping it real and looking at practical strategies and ways to support um, children and students in the classroom or in their preschool setting as well as in the home. Um, and again, how to work effectively with interpreters, because sometimes that is um, just something that you absolutely can't get out of. Um, and then again, going back to those complex cases, looking at those risk factors around trauma, social disadvantage, cognitive impairment or hearing impairment, and how that might influence the way that you um, work with families, um, complete your assessments and, and move forward with your intervention. I think that's it. Well, there's an exciting and timely National Tour event coming up. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for listening and bye for now.